That's the sound of a day starting out right. I hear it every time my new Toro Z-Master 4000 Zero Turn starts up. With big-time horsepower, giant Voodoo track tires, TurboForce deck, and comforts like MyRide and USB ports, it's fully loaded to mow all day long while delivering that signature Toro cut. From start to finish, this beast means business. Get your Z-Master 4000 today. Toro. Count on it. Introducing the SND Podcast channel, your one-stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents... The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 30. We are finally back. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And it's good to finally be back, Jose. Yeah, definitely, for sure. I mean, it's been a long break. Um, you know, writer strike and everything, you know, involved in that. Um, but it's really good to be back, Nick. Oh yeah, finally got some time, and you know, it's we're not taking a long break again. We're we're starting up the podcast real quick, and even next week we're coming out with another show uh, for thirty one. So I like how we're going very consistent early on with the shows. Uh, let's call it like a season two almost. I feel like that was the best uh, way to put it. Uh, but let's jump right into it. And take no longer of a break. So, NFL, we're already headed into week 10. As we saw Thursday night, the Panthers get destroyed by the Steelers. We'll talk a little bit about that team as well. But I want to jump right into which team has been the biggest surprise for you this season? Well, to me, it's got to be the Chicago Bears. I mean, if you would have told me that with Minnesota bringing in Kirk Cousins... And, you know, Green Bay being Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and Detroit hiring Matt Patricia as their head coach. If you would have told me the Chicago Bears are going to be in first place out of those three out of those four teams, I would have called you crazy. Um, Going into late last year, I didn't like how Mitchell Trubisky looked. I didn't believe he was a top five draft pick after the season ended last year. I think he needed to take a major step forward. And he actually did. But again, you know, in a division like this where you have Kirk Cousins, you have Aaron Rodgers. You know, you have Matthew Stafford. The fact that the Bears aren't buried in this division, to me, is phenomenal. And I think the Bears deserve a ton of credit. They traded for Khalil Mack. Their defense is really good. And Mitchell Trubisky, although he's not the best QB, you know, in the league, he's still playing as a serviceable QB, which still gets you places when you have a decent defense like the Bears do. And again, to me, it's just a tr- tremendous idea that they are where they are right now considering when they play with three other talented quarterbacks, those three other quarterbacks are definitely top 10. You can argue top five in the league, and yet the Bears are standing on top. I would have called you crazy, but the Bears to me have definitely been the most surprising team, Nick. Yeah, Mitchell Trubisky this season finally threw a game where he had two touchdown passes or more. He wasn't able to do that all last season, started off, and now 5-3. and It just sucks if you're on the side where you bet the under of seven wins before the Toil Matt trade, and then, you know, great, I'm going to lose money. But, and then John Gruden has <laughs> But uh, for me, I'm going to go with the NFC, but 
not in that division. How about the NFC East, the Washington Redskins? You know, same kind of trapped as yours. Five and three for Washington. In a division with the Philadelphia Eagles, who, let's not forget, won the Super Bowl. The Dallas Cowboys, who I actually thought were going to win this division. And the Giants, who many thought were going to actually be a lot better than what they were last season. Uh, somehow, I think they're worse. But when you look at it even further, okay, Adrian Peterson, 600-plus rushing yards. He's averaging 4.4 yards per carry, getting a lot of production on that side. Alex Smith, let's not forget, this is the same team where Washington let Kirk Cousins go, go get Alex Smith, and Washington's 5-3 and three with the division lead, and the Vikings, well, they're 5-3-1. and three and one. There's not much of a differential in that, and it just looks to show that Washington really thought this one through, went with Alex Smith. I thought that was going to be the silly choice in the end, and it's just turned out to be, you know, the Vikings have played one more game so far, and it results in a tie of a difference. There's a lot even further onto this when it's, you know, consistently, it's a real surprise. The Eagles are just 4-4. Four and four. I don't know if Washington's going to be able to hold on to this division for the entire season. But that being said, they're 5-3 and three right now. They lead the division, and that to me is the biggest surprise so far of the NFL season when you look at the standings. Uh, you know, when it always comes to, we always talk about the good about teams. We always got to talk about the negative. I was like, where's your disappointment going? Well, although, you know, I'm a Giants fan and it's been a very disappointing season, I can't say a lot of us didn't see that coming. But to me, the most disappointing season has to be the Oakland Raiders. I mean, you bring in your nostalgic head coach of John Gruden. You give him, a, te- I believe, a 10-year deal. Is that what the, the deal was? 10-year, you know, 100, yeah. Yeah, 10-year, 100 million. You trade Khalil Mack, first of all. Then you trade away Amari Cooper. I understand he was underperforming. But then now Bruce Irving gets cut. No one wants to be around. And... This is just a disaster season for Oakland Raiders. There's no way you can put it. And I really don't know how to explain it either. I don't know if it's being done on purpose or if this is just happening because people are aging poorly or because team is just underperforming or John Gruden just wants to put his stamp on the team. I mean, give him credit. He was able to get a lot of draft picks in the process. But this is a team that, you know, they had a bad year last year after making the playoffs the year before. This should have been a playoff team. You know, competing with the Kansas City Chiefs at the top of the AFC West, and they're not. There's no excuse for them not to be. I don't see a reason why trading all these people makes sense. To me, John Gruden came in here and took a playoff team and completely dismantled them. Now, I get it. If you're a head coach, you want your team out there. You want to put your spin on it. But why? This team was fine the way it was. And I think he really took a team and he really broke them into pieces. And if I'm an Oakland Raider fan... You know they're leaving soon to Las Vegas. This really hurts to watch all season long. Now, let me ask you this about the Raiders, because you know, they, they've been just terrible this season. Derek Carr, does he stay with the team next year? Honestly, I see no reason why he should. I think the Raiders are at a point where they're completely going to be rebuilding here. You can't tell me that in next year's draft class they're going to get all the pieces they need. Why not trade Derek Carr for more picks if you're going to go that route. It seems that it, this is going to be that signing for the head coach that just looks like the complete mistake because, again, it's a coach that hasn't been in the NFL in, what, nearly a decade? I mean, it was already a questionable move when they brought him in. Especially for that money. Yeah. 
uh, on a franchise that doesn't spend money, they spend it on a head coach that hasn't played uh, that hasn't coached in almost a decade, or if not more than a decade. Uh, so I'll jump into mine, and I'm sticking with the NFC East again, and that's because I'm not going to the Giants because I always know they're disappointing, <laughs> but it's, I'm going to Dallas Cowboys. Then they were my team that I was thinking they were going to win this division. They were going to upset the Philadelphia Eagles. They're 3-5 and five now. They're coming off a Monday Night Football loss to the Tennessee Titans. When the Cowboys were home, they lose 28-14. to There was nothing good about that game for Dallas' side. And overall, I mean, you go back two weeks ago, right before their bye, they lose to Washington 20-17. to a penalty cost them a chance to tie that game in which they could have won the football game. But Dallas just seems to be just making every small, simple mistake constantly. They gave up a lot for Amari Cooper. Now, I like Amari Cooper. I like that he's not signed long-term. But it's still, that's a first-round pick for a player you don't have long-term then. That, that doesn't make sense at the end of the day because unless you're thinking you can sign Amari Cooper. And then still is he worth a first-round pick? They don't re-sign that, uh, Des Bryant. Now Des Bryant signs with the Saints. Y- you know Des is just going to run over the Cowboys in a couple weeks from now when they face each other in Dallas. It, by far the most disappointing team this season has to be Dallas for me because this is a team that I had high expectations for, even as high as I usually do for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm sure you figured I was putting the Jaguars on this list for my team. But... No, I'm going to Cowboys because there just seems no hope involved for this team right now, and there doesn't seem much of a chance unless they fire Jason Garrett. If they fire Jason Garrett tomorrow, they're not being the most disappointed team anymore. They're being like the smartest move and the easiest decision a team could make in 2018. So I'm all for getting rid of Jason Garrett because this has been just an awful mistake constantly every single season. And it, it it is clear as day that's the that is the outlining mistake because the game plan just doesn't work. You have one of the best running backs in the NFL. You have a phenomenal offensive line. You have a good quarterback. You can get the job done with just controlling the game clock, but you don't have the right coach to do so. And he plays to not lose instead of to win half the time. So let me let me ask you something, Nick. Here, let me flip the question on you. <clears throat> All week long, a lot of people have been very critical about Dak Prescott. Do you believe he is the future to Dallas Cowboys, and can he survive in this league going forward? Yes, I think he can easily survive in this league going forward. I think he is the future of the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, when you look at it going into this year, he had like the third. Uh, Dallas has like the third highest winning percentage in the NFL when their starting quarterback actually plays the game. That included, like, for years with Tony Romo as well. Dak Prescott is good. He's a game clock manager. He can win you football games. He can keep you close in games. Now, I don't think the Cowboys are going to go and blow out teams on a consistent base. I don't think they're going to put up points that, like, the Rams do or the Chiefs do. But their offense is not built for those type of things. You look at how the Rams and the Chiefs are built, it's totally different. But you can still win games consistently with a Dak Prescott. You can still win games consistently with an Alex Smith. And I do think those are 
still thought about so they can win you championships at the end of the day, provided you have the right system around them, provided you have the right pieces around them. And the Dallas Cowboys certainly have that around Dak Prescott. What they don't have, though, is a head coach that can put it all together. Just, God, they don't have a head coach. It is bad there in Dallas. I, I feel bad for the fans. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how long Jason Garrett can keep lasting there. Because this is not really the first year I feel like they've been underwhelming. In how many head coaches get this chance? Like you, you went thirteen and three. Wonderful. You just miss out on the playoffs. Okay, but you know you don't win in the playoffs. And whether you want to say that's Dad Prescott, when you want to say it's Tony Romo, you still had one head coach that's doing this consistently. And there is a difference, I think, when you look at it. And it's like I think Marvin Lewis is a great example who doesn't win games with the Cincinnati Bengals in the playoffs. But what the Cincinnati Bengals were before Marvin Lewis was a disaster. What the Cowboys were before Jason Derrick was still a very good team at times. Was still a team with a great quarterback. Was still a team with great pieces around them. The Cowboys are the same factor now. They just don't have a head coach right. And I think that, to me, is the real difference maker. Because you can get the right pieces. You can get the right offensive coordinator to be a head coach for this team. And I think that can flip it all around. The Cowboys are, are a field goal away from tying or beating Washington and looking at it as a whole different schedule at the moment. Because if they beat Washington, they're instead 4-4 four and four going into the bye. Washington would be a different record at like uh, four, um, as well as like 4-4. Four and four. So you'd have more of a headway tie, and the Cowboys could have been going into Monday night with possibly taking the division lead. So I think there's a whole different perspective on that one. But it's just not getting it done. It's constant mistakes, like losing to the Texans earlier in the season, playing instead of going for it on fourth and one and opting to punt. Who does that now? When you're on the 40 or 30-yard line, play to win the game, especially in overtime. When all it is is a field goal can win the game for you, you got to play better than that. you got to make better head coaching decisions. I think I got my rant done for the Cowboys. <laughs> You're good? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm good now. I think I'm good. Uh, blood pressure a little bit flowing there. Uh, let's go into a little bit of a younger atmosphere. Blank has been the most impressive QB. You know, I think it has to be Sam Darnold. Um, I know the Jets, you know, they don't have the win-loss record to prove it. Um, and this is really not by much, in my opinion. Let's just face it off, you know, base it off the factors around them. Um, Josh Allen, you know, he, he's got hurt. Um, you know, you have Josh Rosen, who's on a terrible team right now. And the Cardinals are just a mess. Uh, Baker Mayfield, we obviously know he wasn't the best QB in the draft this year. You know, Lamar Jackson hasn't really seen the field yet. So really, by default, it's kind of Sam Darnold. But I am impressed by what Sam Darnold has done. Um, you know, he still makes some questionable calls here and there. I, I don't think he's in the best coaching environment, too. I'm not sure what the future lies in terms of uh, Todd Bowles and the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets, too. Um, and I still don't think the Jets really set Darnold up for the best success. You know, I still think they need a dynamic wide receiver. I don't think that go-to guy exists on the Jets yet. Whether they address that in free agency or through the draft is a different story. Um, but I do think Sam Darnold has the tools I think he's taking the biggest step forward, um, but in my opinion, I think it's just Sam Darnold. But it's really not by a great margin. I think it's really by default, as of anything. 
you know, surprisingly, I didn't think I was going to say Baker Mayfield. But he's been the most impressive QB, not only because he's winning games for the Browns and he's keeping the Browns in football games, which is, you know, unheard of till this season, but 60% completion rating. Not great, but not bad. But it's better than Donald and Rosen, who are both at 55. Ten touchdowns to seven interceptions. Both Rosen and Darnold have more interceptions to touchdowns. Obviously, I can't choose guys like Josh Allen because he spent most of his year injured. Not really much of a surprise. He was headed for dead man's land in Buffalo. But Baker has been more impressive statistically. You can argue that he's got a lot more better weapons. I know Rosen has David Johnson, but he just hasn't performed this season against a terrible offensive line. And it was no better when Sam Bradford was the quarterback either for them. Larry Fitzgerald has spent a lot of time injured. Baker Mayfield has got a lot of good uh, pieces around him. Jarvis Landry has the second most targets in the NFL, 101. Uh, David Njoku, you know, at times the the tight end has struggled, but he's doing well. And, you know, Nick Chubb, Duke Johnson, I really am a fan of Duke Johnson. I think with them trading away Carlos Hyde, it's able to give Duke Johnson more of a role, and I think for Baker Mayfield, that's a great piece to have, and we saw it a couple times when he's thrown a couple touchdown passes to Duke Johnson in these last few games. I, I think that, to me, is a, a big piece that's added to Baker Mayfield because Carlos Hyde was not a pass-catching uh, pass running back. I don't really see Nick Chubb as a pass-catching running back, but there was just no chance to start Duke Johnson or put him into the game when you had two other running backs before him. So I really like that Carlos Hyde trade. I think it opens it up. I don't even think they should have signed Carlos Hyde to begin with, especially when you go out in the second round first pick draft a running back after you already had signed Carlos Hyde. It just it looked like a very Browns move to do, and I think they solved it by making the trade. Uh, but Baker Mayfield, just statistically, he's come out and he's outperformed Donald and Rosen. I just I would not have expected that to be the case going into this season. The Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, Thursday night football, uh, won 52-21. And I got to say, I mean, I'm in a lot of fantasy leads, but I certainly had a great start when I have Big Ben, Juju, and Christian McCaffrey on one team. Uh, that's a nice little W right there. Uh, <laughs> Quick 100-plus points out of the three players, and it's it, it's nice when you're cruising into a, uh, into a Sunday when usually I have the worst luck in uh, fantasy football when it comes to Thursday night games. So uh, that, that was great. But what I really want to talk about is not on that part. Uh, James Conner heads to concussion protocol. He's got 10 days before the Steelers play the Jaguars next week. But really... I think what stands out is Le'Veon Bell has to report by Tuesday. Otherwise, he can't be a free agent that season. So, Jose, if you're Bell, what do you do in this scenario? And if you're the Steelers, you know, how do you handle this between Connor and Bell? Well, you know, for Le'Veon Bell, <clears throat> it's, it's an interesting thing. You know, what does he do? I really don't know because, I mean, if he really wants to play this year, he would have been there already. Um, the fact that he's deciding to come back now, <clears throat> to me, is an interesting you know, strategy by Bell. Why now? Why come back now? Because even before Connor got hurt, he was announcing he was going to be back next week. But to me, for Bell, 
you know, your offensive line is already mad at you. The locker room already, is already mad at you. Now, obviously, they're not going to do anything on purpose to get him hurt. They're going to take him back with open arms because that's just what they're going to do. And they're going to be professional about it. But on a side note, what else can Bell really do? I mean, and also, I mean, I guess if you're Le'Veon Bell, you just finish out the year and you just hit free agency. And clearly you're not happy with the Steelers and the Steelers are not happy with you. I think if you're Le'Veon Bell, excuse me, sorry about that. If you're Le'Veon Bell, you come back, you finish out the year strong, you get your, you know, you get your value back up again and you hit free agency with a clear slate. And you move on. Because clearly, the relationship between you and the Steelers is not working. However, to me, if you're Pittsburgh, you handle Connor with kid gloves here. There's no need to rush him back. Because, let's say if Connor isn't clear to go by the time you play again, you do get a all-star running back in Le'Veon Bell back from the injury. Well, not injury, but you get him back from the inactive list. So there's no rush to, you know, to rush James Conner back into action. But if I'm the Steelers and if Conner is healthy and he's good to go, by all means, I'm starting James Conner at running back. This is the kid that showed up to training camp. He earned his spot. Yes, I know, you know, he's mainly the running back because Le'Veon Bell isn't there. But James Conner has earned himself this starting position. He's there every week. He shows up and he's also proven it in games. It's one thing if Conner has been terrible, then obviously you'll let Le'Veon Bell start. But Connor has been great. What's the stat? Ten touchdowns in nine career in nine games this season? I mean, James Connor has earned the starting role. I don't care who you are, even if you're Le'Veon Bell, you could be the greatest running back to ever live. If you miss half the season, I'm not awarding you your job back. James Connor deserves to start for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and if he's healthy and I'm Mike Tomlin, I'm giving Connor the ball as my as my premier running back. Well, let me ask you this part though. Because the ma- the way it sounds to you, if you're Le'Veon Bell, you not only report, but you play. Now, do you think Le'Veon Bell is actually going to play? Uh, well, honestly, it depends what happens with James Conner. The injury with James Conner actually kind of works in Bell's favor. Because, again, if he can't go, and even if he is healthy, I don't think the Steelers are going to want to rush him back, then you expect Bell to play. I expect Bell that if he's going to report, then you should be ready to go and play. Because if honestly, if Le'Veon Bell comes to this locker room and he is still not playing, if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, which I, I would have done it this already, but if I'm the Steelers, I cut him. What's the point of having this guy around anymore? I really don't understand. Now, you know me. I'm a big fan of, hey, if you don't want to be here, there's the door. If I'm the Steelers, I would have cut Le'Veon Bell back in week four if you're not showing up yet. There's no, to me, there's no benefit of Le'Veon Bell being here if you're not going to play, I already don't want the guy back. But if he is going to come back, you better show up to play. Otherwise, there's the door. So, the way I look at it is Le'Veon Bell is one of the top two, three running backs in the NFL. And probably he's top two. And he's been that way uh, for the last five seasons. And he gives you more than almost every single running back can do in the NFL. And after this season is over, he's going to be either the highest paid running back or the second highest paid running back or gets the most guaranteed money of any running back in the NFL. 
But you know who's not going to be paying them? The Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers, if they wanted him back before this season, they would have given him his contract. If the Pittsburgh Steelers, if they wanted him back after week one, they would have overpaid. And you're talking about a team that already has Juju, that already has Antonio Brown, that already has Big Ben, that already had either the best running back or the second best running back in the league, depending on how you viewed Todd Gurley. The Steelers didn't want to pay Le'Veon Bell. And Le'Veon Bell decided he's not going to play. And he made a financial choice to save, to, to not get eight plus million at this point to not play in football games so that he could protect himself, protect his investment of his body to get the contract he wanted. He's already, by just not playing at this point, he's saying he's worth well over eight-plus million dollars, and he is. He deserves to be the highest-paid NFL running back, and I don't think he's playing any game this season. What, what what does it mean that he sat for these last 10 games if he plays next week against the Jacksonville Jaguars, where he risked his body, he risked his health for that contract he doesn't have yet? He's not playing week 11. He's not playing week 12. He's not playing week 17, and he's not playing in the playoffs. It's just a matter of what he does to say he's not playing. Because I wouldn't be shocked, and I think this would be the ultimate move by Le'Veon Bell. He suits up, and they tell him to go out on the field, and he stands on the sideline. Or he just walks to the locker room, and he gets changed, and he just stays there, and he goes home. And that's what Le'Veon Bell should do, because the Steelers don't want him. The Steelers organization don't want him. And his teammates don't want him either. Juju may have been playing for the lotto to pay for Le'Veon Bell, but overall you hear the offensive line. Overall you hear Big Ben. Overall you hear these players. They don't care. They want the guy performing, and the guy performing is James Conner. The guy that's playing with them is James Conner. And the guy that wants to be there is James Conner. The guy that wants to get paid and deserves to be paid is Le'Veon Bell, and he will with another team. There's at least six of them that need a running back net season. I think he's a perfect fit for the New York Jets. I think they have the money to pay for Le'Veon Bell, and they will pay for Le'Veon Bell net season. But as for right now, he's not playing. There is no duo, because what was the point of sitting out 10 weeks to play the final sits, miss out on 8-plus million, and still risk your health? That just doesn't add up. And I don't understand where analysts, uh, uh, I don't understand where we're watching the game and Joe Buck is talking about how he's going to come back and it's all this, why would he come back at that point? There's no reason. So I, I, I can't see him suiting up at all, or if he suits up, I can't see him stepping on that field, getting in the huddle with his teammates if he's not paid his contract. Alright, so we're into week 10. We're Couple of, uh, we're a week plus into November, and no surprise, the Patriots lead by two games in their division. The Steelers by a game and a half, Tetson's up a game and a half, the Chiefs also a game and a half, and a lot of this is because of bye weeks or because uh, 
They already played one game into the week of Thursday Night Football. Redskins by one, Bears a half game over the Vikings. Saints a game and a half, and the Rams, well, a very convincing three-game lead. Uh, but, Jose, which team has the best chance of losing the division that they lead currently? You know, and it's funny, they were, they were my most surprising team, <clears throat> but I'm going to roll with the Chicago Bears. I'm sorry, I can't see this team holding up in the long run. Um, you know, it's just it's too much of a Cinderella story. It's one thing for them to have a winning record this year, but if you're going to tell me the Chicago Bears are going to win the uh, NFC North, I find that a little bit hard to believe. I know Minnesota has the tie working against them, but again, I just, I mean, you look at these other teams, the Rams, they're 8-1, and one. they're in cruise control. To me, the the Saints, they're so much better than the Panthers. I know they, I think they have one more matchup left against the Panthers, that's what it might come down to, but to me, the Saints are going to beat them too. You know, Washington, Philadelphia, I mean, there's a good chance that Washington can go on a hot streak. Alex Smith, as you said, is that kind of QB where he can run off, you know, five of the next six. And all of a sudden, they're, they're sitting at 11-4 and four instead of, you know, you know 8-8 eight and eight or something. Uh, you know, to me, the Chiefs look like they're in control. The Texans look like they found their groove. The Steelers are the Steelers. And the Patriots are going to win that division, obviously. To me, when I look at the playoff picture, the big weak link and the big question mark is the Chicago Bears. Because, again, they don't have the track record for this. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot to ask for a team to take a giant step forward, especially in football. To me, when you're, you know, when you're, when you are on a direction to get better, to me, the first step is have a winning season, compete for a division, or compete for a wild card the following year. It's hard for me to say, hey, get a winning record and compete for a division and a wild card in the same year, especially for a team that's still in the process of getting good like the Bears, I think it's going to be very hard for the Bears to hold off the Vikings. You know, I think eventually Kirk Cousins, if he hasn't already, is finding his groove. And I fully expect the Vikings to be on top of the NFC North uh, when it's all said and done. Again, I give tons of credit to the Bears. I think they're a very surprising team. I wish the Bears would win that division because I think it's a good look for the NFL. Again, different teams taking over every different year. Um, But it's very hard for me to commit to the Bears seeing them on top of the division. So I'm going to take Washington in this one. And, you know, Washington, when you look at it compared to the Eagles, uh, Washington has the easiest schedule. But Philadelphia and Washington, they still have to meet twice. Uh, Philadelphia and, and Washington both have something in common. they got a ton of division games left. The Eagles have to play Dallas twice. They have to play Washington twice. They have to play the Giants one more time. Yes, the only thing that goes against the Eagles is they have to play against teams like New Orleans, Los Angeles, and Houston. Three division teams, um, three division leaders. Other than that, it's all division games for the Philadelphia Eagles. And it can just simply come down to the fact that, you know, who wins, Washington or Philadelphia, in their matchup? They meet twice. And at every single one of those points, I'm going to take the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that's the only one that really stands out as well. I kind of agree with you uh, that the Bears most likely are going to fall behind the Minnesota Vikings. It's just a matter of time before Minnesota really gets going. But when you you talk about the fact that two teams get to meet twice, and, and I think there's a very much disparity between the Philadelphia Eagles, who won the Super Bowl, compared to the Washington Redskins. I'm going to go with the um, Eagles each time, and I think they're going to take over the division over the Washington Redskins. 
you know, the other uh, wildcard teams, Carolina Panthers and Minnesota Vikings in the NFC. In the AFC, it's the Chargers and Cincinnati. But Jose, who's currently not in the playoffs, has the best chance of getting in? Right now, if you ask me, in my opinion, I think the best chance right now might be the um, the Tennessee Titans. Um, you know, they're sitting at 4-4. Four and four. They still got a long way to go. Uh, but when it's all said and done, I think, you know, it's it's very doable. Again, I think the Texans are also on that list of teams that could potentially lose their division lead. I just think the Titans really need to put off a good run here. Um, to me, there's not a lot of other options when you look at it. Uh, but right now, I would have to roll with the Tennessee Titans, especially coming off a big win over Dallas. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to take Philadelphia uh, because Philadelphia... I just put them in that division spot. Uh, I'm going to take the Atlanta Falcons. You know, Atlanta's 4-4. Four and four. They've won the last three games in a row. And, and their matchups get pretty simple at some points. And taking just the assumption that the Eagles are going to upset Washington, Minnesota's going to upset uh, the Bears, it's going to push those teams a little bit further back. And I think Atlanta has a great chance to swoop in in this scenario. You know, you still have to play teams like Tampa Bay at the end of the season, which... You can tell me all about Fitzmagic. I love starting him as a fantasy quarterback, but overall, I don't think he gets you wins. They still have to play teams like Cleveland, Dallas, Arizona, and you still get division matchups against like New Orleans and Carolina once each. Unfortunately, those games are on the road, but I think that's good enough for Atlanta to get plenty of wins. Uh, you know, four and four, they're not they're not out of it. Uh, they're they're very much alive in this. Uh, in the playoffs, especially when you consider teams like Chicago and Washington lead their divisions at 5-3. and three. It should be easy for Atlanta to try and come back in. And let's not forget last season, there were three teams in the NFC South that made the playoffs. It's a great possibility, again, three teams from the NFC South can make the playoffs again just because you know, they are a much different and much better offensive teams than when you consider a lot of the teams that are still outside looking in. Let's go into the MLB a little bit. I, obviously, MLB season is over, but you know, one thing that stands out is this free agent class. I, I'm not going to try and name all the guys, but a few names that really stand out. Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Adam Jones, Ian Kinsler, Nelson Cruz, Dallas Title, Britton, Cody Allen, Kimball, McCutcheon, LeMahieu, Pollitt, Corbin, Morna, and, and this is just a small part, and I had to just take those guys as standing out. Jose, is this the best free agent class you've ever seen? You know what? I, I, I think so. Because not only do you have two guys who are hitting the free agent market at age 26 years old. I mean, when has that ever happened? I don't know if we can trace back far enough to find out. But so many guys are hitting the free agent market technically in their prime. Some of them are just turning 30. Some of them are still 29. I mean, I don't remember, from my existence at least – you know, a time where we had this many talented people hitting the free agent market at the same time. And really, this year and next year is going to be another pretty good free agent market, too, with Nolan Arenado hitting the market. These might be the only two years where we see it this stacked again, because since everybody is signing long-term contracts, we don't know when we're going to see a, a market this talented again. I feel like it's so deep. I mean, we were talking about it before we started the show. There's about, what, 15 relievers out there on the market 
usually there's like everybody scrambling to grab the best one or trying to find out what to do at their with their bullpen. There's just so many relievers available. There's so many second basemen available. You know, you have two star players in Harper and Machado. And that's not even talking about the, the trade market where you have people that are going to definitely be available. You know, this by far, Nick, I think, in my opinion, I would like to hear what you think. I think this is the most talented we've seen. You know, we don't even talk about guys like Josh Donaldson and Andrew McCutcheon in this free agent market. and They've won MVPs. I think that's what stands out. On, on how deep this goes, there, there are MVPs that we don't even that consider in, in this now. Uh, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, obviously huge names. The bullpen pieces, we always look at and say, you know, the bullpen is how you win the World Series. Uh, you look at Milwaukee and how well they did. Uh, Taylor Jensen, how, how much he means to the Dodgers, how oftentimes starting pitchers just get demolished in the playoffs. Britton, Cody Allen, Craig Kimball, uh, the list goes on of then like Familia, Ramos, there are so many closers available, so many setup men like Andrew Miller as well. And second baseman, like what year have we had where like six second basemen are available that can start for an everyday position for an everyday team? This is by far stats. You know, the one thing that I think is a little bit short on it is true name starting pitchers. When you really take a a hard hit. There's only three in Dallas title, Patrick Corbin, Charlie Morton. But exactly what I'm saying. There's only three. That's how big this free agent class is, that that there still are three big names. There are three all-star type quality pitchers, and one of them in Dallas title that's won the Cy Young Award. So that, that to me is just, it just continues to stand out on a huge list and a huge class. This is by far the best class I've ever seen. And you know, we, there's going to be a show where we have to dedicate, and it might be our next show of 31, where we're going into more, dive into everything that the MLB play, uh, teams needs and where each one goes. But let's just take five. We're going to take the best five, or at least the five in my opinion. And in doing so, I'm not including any relief pitchers. So that takes off names like Craig Kimball. Because there's just too many relief pitchers that if you had a relief pitcher need, it can be fat, uh, fit by anybody. I'm not including second basements because there's just too many of them as well. So with that, obviously Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Dallas Title, A.J. Pollock, and Patrick Corbin. Jose, break it down to me. Where do you see uh, these five going? Or if you want to take two and then I'll jump in, but go for who, where you put some of these guys going. I'm sorry. You said Bryce Harper, Bryce Manny Harper, Machado, Manny Machado, Dallas Title, AJ Pollock, and Patrick Corbin. Okay, <clears throat> here we go. I'm gonna start with AJ Pollock because to me that's a little bit of a weird one. Um, yeah, you know, I he's throw a, a weird one in there every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, no, because you know it's weird because, like you said, we have guys on the market this year, like Josh Donaldson, where this guy is an MVP, right? But we're not considering him the top guy on the market, right? We don't know what kind of deal he's going to get because of his injury history. I throw AJ Pollock in that same group. This this is a guy that had an outstanding year, what, last season, a year ago? He's not too far removed from an all-star year. But yet, all his injury concerns kind of make him a question, or a question mark on the market. Um, so I'm going to be very intrigued to find out where does AJ Pollock go. Because also, you know, you, you know we ha- we're in a time where there's just so many crowded outfields. But yet, there's always room for one more guy. 
Um, so to me, if I have to pick anywhere for AJ Pollock, I'm actually going to pick the Cleveland Indians. You know, they didn't extend a qualifying offer to Michael Brantley. They seem to want to rebuild. They kind of made everybody available in trade. That's not named Lindor or Ramirez. They're talking about possibly trading Kluber or Carrasco. I have a hard time seeing it. But at the end of the day, if this team does decide to keep going, I think A.J. Pollock is coming off a down year with a lot of injuries where they can try and get him for a bargain price. Maybe A.J. Pollock takes a one-year deal, proves he's healthy because he's not going to get a lot this year, in my opinion, and then comes back next year and tries to get a bigger contract. I think he's the best fit for Cleveland. It gives him another guy at the top of the order. It gives him a good outfield option, especially, again, with Brantley probably not coming back in free agency this year. I think A.J. Pollock is a good fit for the Cleveland Indians. Moving on now to Patrick Corbin. To me, this might be too basic, but I think he's going to the Yankees. The Yankees need pitching. They need a left-handed pitcher in that mix. I know they brought back CeCe Sabathia, but at his age, you never know what's going to happen anymore with CeCe. You know, will he get through an entire year? We really don't know when it comes to Sabathia. I think Sabathia does a pretty good job of keeping himself healthy, but again, you want that lefty ace in that rotation. I think pairing him up with Severino and Tanaka could be a really good look for the Yankees. I know all the Yankee fans want them to get Machado. They want them to get Harper. But the Yankees need pitching. And I think if you bring in Corbin, a good young lefty, who's got a lot of good years left in him too, I think that's a good mix for the New York Yankees. Dallas Keigel, another interesting name because really – his market was going to depend on what happened with Clayton Kershaw. Because if Clayton Kershaw opts out and hits the market, I don't think you see Dallas Keigel sign for a while because everybody's going to be in on Kershaw. Everybody's going to be in on Corbin. And especially with the Mariners referencing that they might want to trade away a couple of arms here or a couple of pieces to their team, they already traded away Mike Zanino to the Rays. You know, Paxton makes himself available too now. So Dallas Kygo is a good name here. He's a good pitcher, but he might be undervalued because of all the better names that are out there for him. If I have to pick a spot for Dallas Kygo, I'm going with the San Diego Padres. I think this is a team that they have a good young core. They traded for Francisco Mejia. They have Hunter Renfro. They have Will Myers and Eric Cosmer. This is a team that's not afraid to spend. They have Fernando Tatis Jr. coming up, who was what, the second best prospect after Vladimir Guerrero Jr. last year in all of baseball? This kid is the real deal, in my opinion. I think he's going to be on a tear once he gets to the major leagues. I think the Padres are finally ready to start spending money again, and I think you do it by bringing in a pitcher like Dallas Keigel in a pitcher's park like Petco to help stabilize this rotation, who has a lot of question marks. But again, the Padres are one of those teams where they have a lot of talent. They just got to bring it all together and bring in a couple of names to help them out. I think by bringing in Dallas Keigel, he does that for the Padres. Again, the Padres may not contend next year, but if you bring in Keigel on a five-year, six-year deal, you're competing by year two or three, in my opinion, for Dallas Keigel's contract. Now let's get to the big boys. Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. I'm telling you, this is getting insane. I really don't know where they're going. I wish the Mets were in play on either of these two guys. I would prefer Harper over Machado, in my opinion. But I don't see the Mets getting involved here, which is very sad. To me, I'm going to throw a wild card out there. I really do think the San Francisco Giants end up with Bryce Harper. I know we're talking about a rebuild for the Giants coming up. There's rumors about trading Bumgarner. But I find it very hard to believe that the you know even with Varhan Zahadi, you know, who used to be with the Dodgers, 
even with him coming in, I know he's an analytics guy. You can't tell me the Giants are not going to go for it one last time with Bumgarner under contract, with Longoria in the last year of his deal. A lot of money coming off the books this year if it doesn't work. Them going for Harper in a way and trying to sign him. I think it's too obvious for him to go to the Dodgers. I think it's too obvious for him to go to the Phillies. I think the best fit for him is San Fran. They need a power outfielder. They need some more power in that lineup. If Buster Posey's healthy, can you imagine a lineup with Posey, Harper, and Longoria in it? Again, if this team is healthy, this team is one of the best teams in the MLB too. If they bring in Harper, they get better. For Manny Machado, I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Phillies. I think the Philadelphia Phillies are feeling pressured to bring in one of these guys. They have the payroll for it. They have the money for it. I find it very hard to believe that the Phillies don't get Harper or Machado. I think they go with Machado just because they're going to lose out on Harper. Uh, So just to go through the list again, you have Harper going to San Francisco uh, Giants. You have Machado to the Phillies. and then take over uh, Kaido to the Padres. And what was the last two again? I had Kaigo for the Padres, Corbin for the Yankees, Pollock to the Indians, Pollock. Machado to the Phillies, yep. and then Harper to the Giants. All right. Uh, so a few of those teams, I'm, I'm kind of on the same kind of method. Uh, I'll start with Patrick Corbin. I have him going to the Milwaukee Brewers. This is a team that... Just miss getting to the World Series. They don't believe in starting pitching, Nick. Come and on. that's what I think is going to change. They don't believe in starting pitching because they didn't really have starting pitching last season. I think they're going to try and go out there, make a move to grab an ace. Because you know what? You can't have the relief pitchers going every single day. It just doesn't always work out that way. You need a starting pitcher that can eat some innings. I don't think they really want to put too much money into a starter, but they have options, and I think they're going to grab one of the big three of Corbin, Morden, or Title. I'm going to give it Patrick Corbin because we're only doing these five. Uh, so I have Patrick Corbin going to the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, for A.J. Pollock, I think the Seattle Mariners are going to be an interesting fit. You know, you look at that outfield, and the Mariners just don't have much in that outfield for potential-wise. Uh, they do have Mitch Hanager, and then it's just a huge drop. There's a lot of open spots when it comes to that, and I think A.J. Pollitt is a right-fit type of guy. You know, he We saw him hit a lot of time during the season behind Paul Goldsmith. I think you could see almost the same type of move in a Robinson Cano type of position, uh, especially when Nelson Cruz is leaving the team. It opens up even a D.H. spot. They can do a little bit more with D. Gordon and Robinson Cano. Uh, on that factor alone. So I really like A.J. Pollock going to the Seattle Mariners. I, I think he's a good fit there. For Dallas title, you had him going to the Padres. I have him going West Coast as well, but it's the Colorado Rockies. You look at the Rockies, and I know you think offense, and you should. Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman, but this is a team that I think also is forgetful of how good their starting pitching is. And we're looking at a team that has Kyle Freeland. And Kyle Freeland, he is an ace for this squad. John Gray, he's improving a lot. I, I saw His ERA was a lot higher than what it should be compared to what his whip was and how he finished the season with great strikeouts. Jermaine Marquez, a phenomenal second half in this season. 
And I think the Rockies really see themselves as in it this season, especially if Arizona has a couple pieces like A.J. Pollock missing. And even we're hearing a lot about possibly trading a couple of their pieces. They're already losing Patrick Corbin. They're already losing A.J. Pollock. The Diamondbacks could be falling down, and the Rockies could be adding a starting pitcher to try and really get themselves into that playoff push uh, further than what it was last season. That leaves us like what you said, the two big guns. And, you know, the Phillies, they do have the, the money to sign both. They do have the position spot to sign both. Now, what will be terrible for the Phillies this offseason is if they cannot sign either one. I think they then will just send an offer to one of them that they just can't refuse. And that name is Manny Machado. I have Manny Machado going to the Phillies. You look at it and say... You know, J.P. Crawford, he's doing okay, but he's not really going to be the shortstop of the future when you can have Manny Machado. Carlos Santana is moving to third base. Ryan Hopkins is moving to first base. It does open up an outfield position that they could put Bryce Harper in, but I really think they're going to go Manny Machado on this one. I think after years of seeing Bryce Hop, uh, Harper a lot more, I think they more might have a tendency to go a different route, and I think Machado is the right way to go for them completing that infield. And lastly is Bryce Harper. And I'm going to pick a team that you picked for A.J. Pollock, and that's the Cleveland Indians. I don't see this team as a seller. I don't see this team looking to try and trade a Corey Kluber. You look at it and say, Michael Brantley is a free agent as well. I mean, of all the list of names, I couldn't even include Michael Brantley on this list. This is a guy that finished third in uh, the AL MVP one year a few years back. They're going to add a big-name bat into that outfield mix. And it's going to be Bryce Harper. It's just a perfect fit. The Indians need some outfield depth. They need a big offensive player again. And I think you just include, you know, you were naming it earlier. Buster Posey, Evan Longoria, and Bryce Harper. But, I mean, of all things, can you imagine a Jose Ramirez, Bryce Harper, and then Francisco Lindor as a 1-2-3 type punch? I mean, that's over the top at that point, and I think that's a, even a scarier lineup to consider. I think the Indians put the money on to Bryce Harper. Might be a little tough for him to move to Cleveland, but they do have an open star position in Cleveland, as I think one guy's uh, traveled to Los Angeles for uh, that star place. I think a nice poster of uh, Bryce Harper flipping the bat would fit well where his uh, old poster used to be. Well, it's this is going to be a real interesting offseason, and it, basically any team with money doesn't have an excuse to not spend the money. I'm looking at you, New York Mets. <laughs> we know the Yankees will. The Yankees are going to, but the Mets better. Because this is their one chance to do it. New GM, they have to go out and they have to spend money. Uh, speaking of which, Jose, what's your thoughts on the new GM decision? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, you know me. I don't like... It wasn't my first choice. I would have preferred Chain Bloom. Um... But you know what? I'm trying to remain optimistic about it. It's one of those things where it's like baseball is so weird. 
that something like this could work. I just didn't want the Mets to be the lab rats for this because if it doesn't work, the Mets are going to be set back a little bit. Um, I'm trying to remain optimistic, though. Maybe there is some advantages to him being a GM. Um, maybe as an agent, he could understand he'll understand better what players want, and maybe he'll make more team-friendly contracts, or maybe he'll be able to persuade you know, people to take contracts with the New York Mets. Maybe he'll convince Conforto and Nimmo to sign extensions to buy out their free agent years because the market's not what it used to be. Um, again, he's not my first choice, but at this point, I'm just going to remain optimistic and hope, and just hope he gets the job done. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, first thing on that to-do list is long-term sign Jacob DeGrom. If he does that, he already has a good step in the door um, when it comes to Mets fans. Uh, from there, you know, you have a lot of decisions to make. Obviously, uh, you have a lot of players that are possibly coming off the books. The next season, Todd Frazier is a free agent. Uh, but I think for the Mets, they have to look at it and say, we can't worry about what we have and if we have too many pieces around us. They have to go out and they have to sign the right pieces. And if that means that we have two third basemen and Todd Frazier is not playing, uh, you know, Todd Frazier is not playing. If that means you have two first basemen, or that means you have four outfielders and Yoenna Cespedes probably isn't playing this season because of injuries, okay, that's fine. Go out there and make the right moves because you need to put out a winner on this team. Hey, I'm all for an outfield of Conforto, Harper, and and Nimmo. Just saying. I'm not. (laughs) Of course I wouldn't be. (laughs) One can dream. I don't mind. I like Conforto. I like Brandon Nimmo. I, I think they're better outfielders. Uh, and I'm not. I'm not saying Bryce Harper's a bad outfielder at all. I think there's just three hundred million for a guy that hit like what two fifty last season. It, there's something wrong in, in the way MLB has a thought pattern when it comes to strikeouts and compared to home runs. And I think that and Bryce Harper is a great example of what he did last season. And I think there's, there are other options to go. Basically, a UN assessment is at that point. All right, uh, MLB awards. All right. It seems like we have the same NL MVP and Cy Young. So instead of repeating twice, Jose, I'm going to let you do it for me, and and pick who you have. Uh, who's your NL MVP and Cy Young? My NL MVP is going to be Christian Yelich, and my NL Cy Young is Jacob Degrom. Um, you know, how can you not? I think for a while, the NL MVP was very up in the air. I'll admit, I think Javi Baez was a favorite of mine in the beginning. Um, but with Yelich going on his torrid second half, I mean, there's just no way you can deny it. And really, the Brewers don't get into the playoffs without what Yelich did. Um, and to me, that, that, to me, that's what makes him valuable, too. For Jacob DeGrom, I mean, what else can you say? It's been a fantastic year for Jacob DeGrom. And on top of that, I think, you know, you have a situation where, yes, he didn't lead every single category. And yes, he has a losing record. But we all know wins don't really matter as much as they used to anymore, and nor should they. Um, And on top of that, you know, this guy, sorry, this guy is what went on a streak where he didn't allow three or three earned runs or more. In like, what, 25 straight starts, 24 straight starts? 
I mean, that's fantastic. I was telling you before the show, everybody gets shelled at least once or twice during the season. Jacob DeGrom did not. Uh, so to me, he's just the obvious choice for Cy Young. Yeah, there's not much I'm going to add to this. Um, Christian Yelich, he probably will win unanimously. And he's put up nearly triple crown numbers this season. What he did to finish the season, I, I as much as you want to say having a phenomenal start is key, no. Having a phenomenal finish is what everyone remembers. And that was Christian Yelich. What he did in the playoffs, he performed. What he did to get the team, the Brewers to win that division, to finish off the season, he's going to win the MVP. And he might win it unanimously this season by his numbers. Uh, Jacob DeGrom, you know, 10-9, and 9, 1.70 ERA. Like you said, the quality starts. Um, his toughest competition is Matt Scherzer, who finished third in the NL in ERA. In 18-7, and seven, as much as you want to give it to any one of the three between Nola, Scherzer, DeGrom, there's one thing all three have in common. They didn't make the playoffs. I don't think wins are going to be that far of a factor when you consider it. I'm, I'm going to give it to Jacob DeGrom. It's tough to give it to a guy that had, uh, not to give it to a guy that had a 1.70 ERA. The AL Cy Young is a little bit more interesting. Blake Snell, Justin Verlander, Corey Kluber, Trevor Bayer. Um, Jose, who do you have winning that one? To me, that's an obvious choice, too. It's Blake Snell. I mean, this guy had a fantastic ERA in one of the toughest divisions in baseball where he had to face the Yankees and Red Sox a couple times throughout the season. That's not an easy task, in my opinion. You know, give credit for what Verlander did. um, Give credit for what Corey Kluber did. And, you know, I was surprised Chris Sale didn't finish as a finalist, too. I know he missed a lot of time, but um, I definitely thought Chris Sale would have at least been a finalist. Um, but to me, it's Blake Snell, and I don't think it's that close. Yeah, it, for me, again, it's Blake Snell. Uh, 1.89 ERA. I mean, you're, you're pretty damn close to Jacob DeGrom's ERA. Snell did miss a little bit of time, but not, like you said, not nearly as much as uh, Chris Sale. Uh, Justin Verlander, I think, has the biggest fight against him, but a 2.52 ERA compared to a 1.89. Yes, 290 strikeouts. It's almost like Justin Verlander and Matt Scherzer's numbers are very similar. And on a on a different year where Snell doesn't win 21 games and five losses on a raised team that, again, didn't make the playoffs, and Jacob Rahm uh, also less than a two ERA, I think Scherzer and Verlander are easy pits for Sions, but this year it's going to be DeGrom and Snell. Uh, just the low ERAs, I think, stand out, and... Baseball voters don't look at wins like they did. They'll look at Blake Snell's 21, but they won't look at it and say 18 to 10 and 9, but that ERA differential. Uh, so Blake Snell for me, for Cy Young. Uh, AL MVP, this one's interesting. Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, Jose Ramirez are the three finalists. Who do you have winning the AL MVP? My MVP is not even a finalist, Nick. But I guess uh, we can get to that in a little bit. Um, You know, it's one of those things where this one's very tricky. Because I don't think Mookie Betts has the kind of year he has without the help that he had behind him in the lineup. Um, But in my opinion, I'm going to go with Mookie Betts. 
I think the Red Sox had a fantastic season, 108 wins. Mookie Betts did his thing. I think it's very close between him and Mike Trout. Um, take nothing away from Jose Ramirez. I think if, you know, obviously if those two guys are not in the league, I think Jose Ramirez is a good choice. You really can't go wrong with either choice. But if I had to give it to anybody, it's Mookie Betts. I think he elevated his game to another level. And I think he really became the face of the Red Sox this year, too. So, what was the beginning sentence you had when it came to the AL MVP? Was it, uh, my AL MVP is not even one of the three or so, uh, something close to that, right? Yeah, it wasn't even one of the finalists. My AL MVP is not the, one of the finalists, and that's J.D. Martinez. You know, this is a guy that really came close to putting up uh, almost triple crown numbers, but when you really look at it, uh, Yes, I do think Mookie Betts is going to win it, but the guy I'm giving it to is J.D. Martinez, and it's J.D. Martinez easily. This guy hit 330 before the season, 402 on base percentage, 43 home runs on the year, 130 RBIs, 111 runs stored. Mookie Betts may have him beat in average slugging percentage on base percentage. He doesn't have him beat by much on those stats, but J.D. Martinez has the most RBIs in the league, has the second most home runs in the MLB this season and in the AL. It's J.D. Martinez, and the fact that J.D. Martinez isn't even on the list of the three choices they gave, I think is pretty upsetting. And it's not like they eliminated the choices to just one per team, because in the AL Rookie of the Year, they gave two Yankees and one Shohei Otani Angel. This should have been easier. They should not have snubbed J.D. Martinez as much as they snubbed him here. To me, he is the AL MVP. Now, I don't know if he's going to win it, but if they put these three as the finalists of Betts, Trouts, and Ramirez, it's going to be Mookie Betts. But if J.D. Martinez is in one of these finalist parts, it's an easy decision for me, and it's J.D. Martinez. And I would have given it to him. I still think he should win the AL MVP. And I think, if nonetheless, I hope he finishes second. And I hope he shows this ballot that they give this finalist thing to the complete mistake that they've doing. Because J.D. Martinez should not finish fourth. He should finish second at worst. And he should pass Mike Trout and Jose Ramirez. And I think they're showing more of an error with putting three finalists on it. What's your take on the finalists then, though? You know, to me, to me, it's interesting. I think they do it in a way to prevent, you know, like ties and stuff like that. I think by saying, hey, choose between these three, I think it's, it's more of you're going to get a more narrow decision, a more streamlined decision, as opposed to, you know, um, if everybody votes for, you know, a different person, we don't have a clear-cut winner. Um I like the three finalists. Just make it the right three guys. I think J.D. Martinez didn't get in simply because he was a D.H. And to me, when it comes to the American League, D.H. is a position. I think it takes a special skill to sit on the bench for half the game and really only watch and be ready to hit every time you come up. That's not an easy thing to do. You know, guys like Edgar Martinez, David Ortiz, those guys are what it, you know a fine example of what a proper D.H. is. And J.D. Martinez did that this year. And... and- Let's not forget one thing. J.D. Martinez is not a D.H. Yeah. 
he was playing for the Tigers last season. He was not a DH for the Tigers last season. Victor Martinez was the DH last season for the Tigers. He gets traded to the National League. Oh, yeah, they don't have a DH. And he hits a killer amount of home runs. He's playing every day in the outfield. He's got to play, like you said, a whole new position for the Boston Red Sox. And not only does he do that, he hits phenomenal in doing so. It's There are times where I agree there should be three finalists. And to put simply like NL Cy Young, there's only three guys. There's no fourth on this list. There's no Clayton Kershaw. There's nobody else to put on this list. The NL MVP, it's really Christian Yelich, but sure, you can put whoever you want at two and three. I think Javier Baez deserved to be on this list, but after that, it didn't really matter who you put at third. No one was going to flip a table uh, saying, why is Nolan Arenado not in for Freddie Freeman? Um, Cyan, again, there's really three because Chris Sale was injured. If Chris Sale is hurt, you, uh, it wasn't hurt, you, Chris Sale would easily have been on this ballot. Uh, Trevor Bauer possibly on the ballot, but the AL MVP, there's at least four guys that have the case. They should have put a fourth on there because they deserve to put a fourth on there. The numbers speak out for themselves because if any one of these four guys are in the National League, they might overtake Christian Yelich. It's close enough in my mind to say that. Uh, But, you know, good luck to all of them. And I hope J.D. Martinez wins out of just spite for the three finalists. But I don't think he will. I think it will be. Mo- I think Mutibats will win it. But I'm, my vote certainly would be JD Martinez. All right. As always, we haven't done it in a while, but we do our dude and dunce in a week and um, our beard bat. And our beard bat is going to be pretty simple. You know, we're talking about the NL MVPs, AL MVPs. Well, in 1965, Willie Mays was named NL MVP. And in 1982, Robin Yunt wins AL MVP unanimously. That's our two in our beard bat. As we always look back in time in sports history, of course, we're talking about November 9th for today. And, you know, we haven't done the show in a while. I would love to give it to Big Ben and how well he played and how well he killed me in one fantasy league and how well he just set me up in another but I'm not. I'm going to give it to the Boston Red Sox. They won the World Series this year. And that's who is our dude of the week. It's, it's more like dudes of the week. But the Boston Red Sox, congratulations to them for winning the World Series. They're our dude of the week. And who is our dunce? Our dunce of the week is going to go to Floyd Mayweather. Not only is he, does he, does, he does something dumb by taking a fight with a fighter that no one's really heard of, that he's probably never heard of, in a kickboxing promotion, but he also decides to back out of the fight a week later. Now, a lot of people were criticizing Floyd, saying that the only reason he took the fight is because he's in financial trouble. That's none of our business, honestly. I'm not going to tell somebody how to spend their money, but it's also a sad note that the grown man can't manage his money so he won't be bankrupt. But on a side note, if you're Floyd Mayweather, just give it a rest. What do you have left to prove? Do you know you're the greatest boxer in the world? You know, retire with your undefeated record. You know, you don't have to go in there in MMA and embarrass yourself. You're not – it's not going to end well. 
you trying to chase this dream of trying to fight Conor McGregor or Khabib or anybody else that you want to try and fight in an MMA rule kind of fight, it's just not going to end well. If you're trying to make money, it's not worth chasing the dollar after. It's not worth ruining your reputation. And also, if you're going to sign on for a fight, don't back out of it a week later. You know, once you realize how good this guy really is, once you look up his highlight reel on YouTube, you know, stay in there if you're going to agree to it. So overall, just a messy situation. I'm still not happy that, that the Mayweather-McGregor fight even happened, so I'm still pretty salty about that. <laughs> um, to me, it's just one giant sideshow. Everybody, just stick to your sport. That's all. That's all I got to say. <laughs> all right, so with that, our episode 30, our return episode is coming to an end. We always want to give like a final thoughts, uh, so I'll give my final thoughts. Uh, college basketball is starting already this season. Time has flown so quickly. Uh Duke, one eighteen to eighty four over the uh, Kentucky. You know, phenomenal game. But looking at this, I'm just gonna go out and say on a limb, Duke looks like they're gonna win the championship this season. The way they are built, uh, Cam Reddish, twenty two points. Zylon Williams, who might be the first pick in the draft or might be the second, he's one of the top five. Uh, twenty eight points. R.J. Barrett. 33 points. Their bid three put up 83 points. Kentucky put up 84 points for the entire game. This was just an overall dominating factor by Duke. And we're talking about, you know, the two. Kentucky was going into that game ranked number two. Duke was ranked number four. Obviously, that will change pretty quickly. But Kentucky was never in this game. The moment the game started. Uh, and that, would, to me, blows my mind of how much of a blowout this was. It wasn't just the second-half destruction. It was from the beginning of the game, a 10-point lead, and it never ceases to end. That's my final thoughts on that one. Jose, what is your final thoughts for our podcast show? Well, referencing your final thought, just slow down just a little bit. I don't think we're, we're ready to crown them the national champs I'm just I'm ready yet. to crown them after that. Anyways, my final thought is it's been a while since we did the show, and since we did the show, they did announce that Space Jam 2 was in the works. The director of Black Panther signed on to do it. Most likely LeBron James is probably going to be in it. And I can't say how excited I am for Space Jam 2 to come out in theaters. I'll probably be first online. I will push little kids out the way I did it for The Incredibles 2. No shame. I will do it for Space Jam 2 as well. Oh, I, I, I was so happy when Incredibles 2 came out. <laughs> uh, but conversation for a different podcast, I assume. All right, thank you so much for listening to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 30. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm on Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. Of course, this will be coming out as early as we can, most likely before the Sunday Week 10 Dams. And our next episode coming out pretty much right after the Week 10 Dams. We're going to look to be recording that uh, middle of the week and get it out to you by Wednesday or Thursday as well. So thank you again for listening, and we are back.